Russ, did I ever tell you about the time that I ate a caterpillar? Dude, I know you get hungry sometimes. A caterpillar? <laughs> I go to some lengths sometimes, you know what I mean? Uh, yeah, so this was actually on a uh, mission trip one summer, and this was right between my high school senior year and my going to college, right? That summer went to Africa, went to Zimbabwe, Africa. And we were going all around the whole country. We were doing different service projects. We were leading different Bible studies and all this sort of thing. And we would get hosted by these families. And I will go ahead and tell you this. Number one, if you want to be humbled, you should do something like this. Because we're sitting there going into people's homes. These are shacks. I mean, these are dilapidated. They're lean-tos. I mean, there's nothing of any value here. And yet we were being hosted like we were celebrities. They were giving us delicacies. They would be serving us chicken. I would walk behind the house and they have the cauldron there with a fire under it. And they're making the stuff called sadsa. It's like grits almost. And they would be eating that with their hands with like spinach or like uh, some greens of some sort. Whereas in the house, they were serving us chicken and vegetables and potatoes and like all these really nice foods, but yet that's what they were reserving for themselves. Oh, wow. And I remember in particular one place, we were there at their house and they pass around all this really good food and they hand you this kind of bowl and there's these dark long, I'm talking six to seven inch long caterpillars. They're black. They don't have the, they have the feet on them kind of thing. Black but, from like being charcoal or that's just the color of the caterpillar? There? They they were cooked in okay. some, some form or fashion. I don't know if they were fried or baked or what, but you could tell they were cooked. And you could just look around the room and see there's girls on the team with us. They were turning green. I mean, like their faces were like, am I going to have to eat that thing? Like, that's a caterpillar. At this point in time, those girls would be like, I'd take a can of Spam and some cheese all day long. <laughs> they all of a sudden were not hungry at all. Like, they're like, you know what? We had a big lunch. We're good. Just pass it on. But you know me, like, I'm a little adventurous on the food scene. You know, You've never turned culinary experience. Yeah. By the way, it's also rude. Sure. In their culture, this is a delicacy to them. Right. Okay. I can't remember the technical term, but they were caterpillars. Okay. American caterpillar, but they were huge. And I just remember there's this point I have to make decision. Am I going to kind of shame them by not tasting this or am I going to just take the plunge? So I took the plunge and I bit into that thing and it crunched. Oh, no. And it had this kind of sour, just... There was nothing good about this. Like, I almost wanted to spit it out. Did it taste like chicken? No, no. This was not chicken. It was like dirt, <laughs> burnt dirt. And I just remember thinking, I'm, I don't, one, I got to keep chewing. I got to swallow so it doesn't look like, you know, I'm shaming them. And number two, how am I ever going to get this out of my teeth? <laughs> like, <laughs> this is nasty. But I lived through it, and it's a great story. It is a great story, and I'm assuming as nervous as you were to take the bite out of the caterpillar, 
would almost do justice to our interview today. <laughs> We've got a client, Toby Kimura, who is coming to us from a long way away from over in Hawaii. And she is an avid listener to the podcast, someone who has been practicing purchasing real estate, her and her husband, Nathan, to create passive income to the tune of 77 rental properties. You just gave the cat out of the bag, Russ. It is a really big cat, by the way. (laughs) And I would imagine that cat would probably not eat that caterpillar that you ate. But I just wanted you to know how cool this interview is. But I would say one of the things you're going to learn in this interview, at least what I took away from it, Joey, is that sometimes you do get nervous, but you have to push through. And maybe your situation didn't lead to success, but Toby's did. Yeah, I'm, I'm really excited to, to hear what you guys take away from this episode with Toby Kimura. Welcome to the Wealth Without Wall Street podcast, your guide to understanding how to get out of the Wall Street rat race and start your own mailbox money lifestyle. Now, don't let these handsome Southern draws fool you. These financial minds are teaching our country to enhance savings, increase cash flow, and create passive income, all without the help of Wall Street. Are you ready to break through? Now here are your hosts, Russ Morgan and Joey Murray. Are you looking for ways to implement ideas get exposure to new ones, and be surrounded by people on the same journey as you. Joey, where can they go to do that? Go to wealthwithoutwallstreet.com forward slash community. You can join for free today. Welcome into the show. Today, we have a great guest, uh, Toby Kimura, one of our clients. Welcome to the show, Toby. Thank you for having me today. Toby, when you come on to a podcast, you do it right. Like I am so excited to share your story because not only is it super inspiring because of what you and your husband, Nathan, are doing, and Joey and I have had the pleasure of kind of getting to know you um, and, and your backstory. So just to be able to share it with others, we are so grateful. Thank you for doing that. And just to kind of give the listener right now a little backdrop, right? Before we unveil the Superwoman uh, cape, <laughs> let's just talk about where where you started, who you are, uh, just a little bit about yourself. Would you mind sharing with our listeners? Yeah, sure. So uh, my husband and I both have full time jobs. I work for a medical distributor. My husband um, works for his uh, family's construction company. They're general contractors. And uh, we have two uh, beautiful children. Uh, We have a son and a daughter. We pretty much do the typical everyday routine. Work, get up, go to school. You just do it in a much Uh, more beautiful place than most of us. (laughs) I agree. Hey, I I took it for granted um, growing up here in Hawaii. And I lived away for college and worked away uh, for about seven years. And didn't really appreciate it until I moved back and made this home and my family and career. And it's a great place to be and I wouldn't trade it for anything. So, well, and By the way, uh, Joey's never been to Hawaii. So any descriptors you have about how beautiful it is, it, 
would do him favors because I've been trying to encourage him for the last four or five years to, to make a trip over. And for whatever reason, he hasn't been able to do that yet. Yeah. Thank you for continuously <laughs> rubbing my nose in the fact that I still haven't been. No worries. No worries. I, I, that's what I'm here for. Good friends, <laughs> partners. That's what we're here uh, to share. Well, Toby, let's let's kind of before we unveil kind of some of the things on the real estate side that you and Nathan are doing, which are really fascinating, by the way. And I think as people are listening to your story, they're going to be really excited to to hear how you got there. But I want to start kind of before all of the real estate investing. You you were just working, working mom, Nathan, working within the family business, and, and you were doing things the typical way. So what were some of the things financially you were doing prior to getting into real estate investing? Just, you know, your traditional um, type savings, 401k matches, retirement plans, whether it's a Roth or a traditional IRA, just your typical mainstream type um, investments that uh, we were doing. No, so. that's good. And in, in Hawaii, it's pretty expensive to, to live there, right? I, at least I hear. I have only been able to spend four or five times there. I, I really don't know a lot. Joey, what do you know about the cost of Hawaii, by the way? Uh, I, I'm going to pass on that. Okay. So Good question. back to you on that, Toby. So when <laughs> I, I'm, I'm assuming it's pretty expensive to live there. So going through your mind, raising a family, what are what, are, what were your, some of your thoughts as to how you guys were going to create a future for yourself and your kids? You know, I we thought about it many times and we kind of decided we wanted to make sure that our kids got a really good education and um, wanted to give them the opportunities that we had growing up and living here in Hawaii. Yeah, it's very expensive. At some point, I thought I had to have about four jobs (laughs) Um, with the housing prices, um, cost of, you know, a private school education, all that came into play on, you know, how are we really going to do this? You know, raising a family and continually provide the same life, if not better, that we grew up in. Uh, So we kind of started looking around on options to invest rather than you get your paycheck, you save a percentage of your paycheck, you put into the savings, you put into your 401, and then what? You know, so with the market at the time, uh, that was 2008, Mm -hmm. It was really bad, but we took the opportunity and continued that route. We went the traditional way, uh, put some money away in retirement, and we stuck with it. We thought, you know, if we continued this route, at what point, using our kind of projections, is this really going to get us to where we need to be and have the opportunities to still travel and uh, do extracurricular type things? So there was a point there where you were doing the same thing and you realized something is not, this is not working. Like this is not going to get us to what we're trying to accomplish. And then that led you on a new path, right? That led you to starting to invest in yourself and educate yourself what else was out there. So tell us about that. Like what what steps did you take at that point? Well, a relative of ours actually kind of introduced us at the time to invest in real estate in the mainland, they call it here. So my husband and I kind of was tossing around the idea at the time, coincidentally, and we're going to buy a place here in Hawaii as a rental. And, you know, we're pretty active 
put an offer in, didn't get it. And so he referred us and said, hey, you know, why don't you guys take a look at some of these income producing type properties in the mainland? And, you know, that might be a better opportunity uh, um, that would cash flow. And so the whole concept just one, I couldn't wrap my head around investing out right. of state, not seeing a property, not knowing where it's located, who's living in it, who's going to manage it. I mean, you had all these unknowns. And so I just thought it was so mind boggling and I just couldn't wrap my head around it. So, you know, we went to a couple seminars and learned about it and really kind of wrapped our head around it, understood you know, how this all works. And so that was back in, I think, 2011. And it just kind of took off from there. So uh, we took the leap and just started running with it. Well, you told us before we hit record that you and your husband have 77 rental properties, correct? Yes, that's correct. <laughs> that's really, I mean, that's really awesome. And it's really kind of crazy and mind boggling because what you just told us is that you and your husband have full-time jobs. You have two kids and you're nervous about investing in a place that you've never seen. You you haven't done it before. You don't know who's going to manage it. Don't know who's going to live in it. And now you have 77 of these places. So let, let's talk about like how... How did you go from one to 77? There was a lot of little things that was going in through that process. So when you bought your first property, talk to us about that experience, getting the check in the mail for the first time. How did that open your eyes? What sort of thoughts and conversations happened between you and Nathan when that happened? Well, when we first acquired it, it was brand new construction. So that was a huge plus. Yeah. Um, and then you know, we went through the financing phase and finally got our renter in and, you know, we, we figured it out. It was pretty, pretty simple. Mortgage is getting paid. Rent is coming in. There's a little extra for cash flow, which we saved, you know, and then we actually bought another property kind of right down the street from there, got that up and running and the same scenario happened. And then we kind of caught on, you know, here we have two in the mainland that we've never seen rents coming in. We've got professional property management in place and it was just a bunch of paperwork doing all the financing and all of that. So we kind of got our hands around it and we kind of just picked up, you know, I think the next one we picked up probably a few months after that. And we were kind of always in escrow. Well, and Toby, you, when you say it was in the mainland, where where were these first properties located? It was in Missouri. I've never been to Missouri. Just a little bike ride from Hawaii, right? <laughs> right down the street. Yeah. But you're seeing the checks come in. And you said, I heard you say when the checks came in after everything was paid for, you took the money and you just saved it. You just put it in a checking account? Yep we just kind of let it grow. You know, it, it was little, it's not huge amounts of money when you're first starting right. off, you know, it was a couple hundred dollars. So we're like, okay, well, we're not negative. If we bought that place in Hawaii, we'd, we would have right. been negative. Um, you know, we would have been paying our tenant to live in our house at that point. So given that, you know, we kind of got the concept and just let it sit there and accumulate, you know, 
over the month. So talk to us about that time. So when you now you have three in a in a period of two or three months, you said, what sort of conversations are you and Nathan having? Like, are you starting to see a vision? Or you did you know when you had three that eventually you were going to have seventy seven? Oh no, <laughs> no. I I honestly we thought ten was good. Okay. You know, we're like, we're going to get to the 10 and we're going to live off of that. Right. <laughs> but it, it doesn't work that way. 10, you know, was our initial goals. Uh, we never did think that we'd be at this point where we are today. Okay. So speak to that because I'm, I'm bringing on my old mortgage guy hat. Having 10 loans in your name was typically like the max that you could have. So how did you guys go beyond that? Or, or first of all, did you have just conventional loans in your name up to those first 10? And then how did you get beyond it? Basically, you know, we, we knew 10. That was our goal initially because we knew that, okay, we can get 10 30-year fixed mortgages and we'll be fine. We'll just let it sit for the next 30 years and that will be kind of our retirement plan. So when we got to number 10, we're like, now what? You know, there's all these really good opportunities. We did branch out, you know, to other states and I just couldn't resist, you know? So I just made phone calls, (laughs) phone calls after phone calls, cold calling, just trying to get some ideas. Um, I also worked with our real estate agent and got referrals from there. And those were my best referrals. And that's kind of where it really took off is we started getting uh, commercial loans. On residential property. Okay, so talk about talk about that. I, I have an idea of what you mean by that. But when you say commercial loan on residential properties, what does that look like? So you know, initially we got some pretty good terms. Uh, I think it was a twenty five year amortization. At the time, I think it was like four and a half percent with twenty percent. And that was on each individual residential property, or did they bundle like ten of your properties together, or how did that how did that work? So initially, as we picked up, we did them one loan at a time. And after that, as we kind of accumulated them, and over the years, as the equity grew and principal paydowns, we decided, let's go in and refinance. So then we went ahead and refinanced and got a whole bunch of you know individual loans and bundled them into a blanket portfolio loan to kind of consolidate and really take advantage of that equity that was in there. And then we just rolled it over and picked up more properties <laughs> and put it into that same loan. I'm going to kind of back you up to the original thought of having just 10 properties. And you and Nathan probably were thinking in your head, well, 10 is going to be our goal. And I'm assuming that the 10, maybe it was 10 times the monthly income that you got from them equaled something to you. Or maybe it was once all the 10 properties were paid off in 30 years, that equaled something. How did you come up with 10? What was just that initial thought process? So for the initial 10, my goal was to say, I need to get enough properties within these 10 properties and figure out what is it going to be so I can cover my mortgage. Okay, that was the motivation. So So once you had that, that then you you covered your personal mortgage with the revenue from those 10 properties. That's correct. So then at that point, you're getting closer to financial freedom, right? Your passive income is starting to to cover your some of your fixed expenses. That is correct. And then you said, but wait a second, there's other things that Nathan and I do on a monthly basis more than pay for our mortgage. We we also <laughs> like to go out to eat. <laughs> we also drive cars. We also have uh, kids and private we want to school. send them to private school. 
And so then is that where you went, okay, Nathan, we got to keep growing this a little bit. Oh, yeah, you, you hit it right on. That's basically how we were motivated to continually grow and acquire and kind of set a path on, you know, where do we need to be so we can feel financially free? We both love what we do. Um, we're so grateful that we're doing what we enjoy. So it's really not work. Yes, it comes with a lot of other responsibilities, but we, you know, continue to strive. And we said, okay, with our real estate, we need to maybe focus on how do we grow that so it can cover all of our daily expenses, including, like you said, all the things that we have extra to cover. And what's our timeline on it? Right. So I, I have a question now. You've kind of taken us from ground zero, where you started. You had this motivation to create additional income streams because there's just not enough money left at the end of the month to help pay for kids' school and all the things that you wanted in life. So it drove you to a point of educating yourself and stepping out of your box and saying, we got to find something else. Now you've built this ridiculous portfolio of rental properties. You've obtained financial freedom. You enjoy what you love. And yet... In the last couple of years, you meet up with your friend, Mark Haraguchi, one of our coaches, and you say, tell me about this infinite banking thing. Like why help, help our audience, help folks listening, understand why somebody like you would get to that point and then say, okay, I need to also tack on this whole infinite banking thing. What was going through your head when, when you did that? Well, you know, we looked at insurance, you know, my husband and I both have life insurance. And as we've accumulated um, assets over the years, we came to a point where we're kind of underinsured. <laughs> and, you know, I, I always thought like, oh, my God, okay, so if something should happen to us, what are we going to do? What are our kids going to do? Or I, the conversation was always like, well, you know, should something happen, they can just sell all the property, you know? And I'm thinking, well, gosh, I put so much hard work on acquiring those properties. I think, you know, finding the right properties that make sense from day one. And, you know, I'm like, that was a lot. And I didn't think that it made sense for us to have that mindset of should something happen, we can just liquidate. Right. Uh, because really, that's your income producing assets that allows you to pay for your everyday expenses and live a comfortable life. So I didn't think that was feasible. Um, it'd, be like, so, it'd be like killing the golden goose, <laughs> right? I, I was just like, gosh, this sounds horrible. <laughs> you know, like I, why would we do such a thing? So I said, okay, well maybe, you know, when Mark introduced the infinite banking concept to us, I was like, I bought the book, read the book a few times and kind of, understood it. And I thought, hey, you know, I think this is the missing piece to our peace of mind, mm. mostly is, hey, you know what, let's pick up a few policies that make sense that would cover us. So we don't have to have those conversations. Should something happen, we can liquidate. You know, now we have those conversations is, should something happen to us, we're covered. The kids will be fine. Um, we can still keep everything that we've accumulated, basically pay off all the mortgages and everything, the income stream will still come through. So I can sleep better at night, basically. And not only that is we've come across some 
some situations where, especially during these COVID times, you know, lenders' uh, requirements tighten up very quick, especially during these times. Mm -hmm. And we were in the process of refinancing right when COVID hit in March, when everything shut down. It took us about six months to refinance. And, you know, we were we were lucky that we were able to close and get through that whole uh, process. But, you know, I always think it's always good to have liquidity on the side where you can access it. Should we have to pay off a loan? You know, the money's there. We're not trying to go to the bank and justify, hey, you know, here's all of our financials. Can we refinance? You know, so should we ever come into a situation? We know that with the infinite banking concept that, you know, we've got this reserves we can take a loan out and pay off our debt. And the beauty of it is basically we'll just cash flow more. I love that. I love the way that you thought through that. You found one use for it, which is totally makes sense to think about from the death benefit perspective. Like we don't want to kill the golden goose, as you said, Joey. We want to have an asset that will immediately provide liquidity, provide cash in a time of crisis if that were to happen. And also then you started thinking about just applying it to your situation where, hey, yes, the banks are tougher to deal with, especially in times of pandemics <laughs> and we're in, in uncharted waters, if you will, and having access to cash. I would assume, too, that that also becomes a better savings account for your cash flow that's coming in uh, off your properties every month. You have a better place to put it than just sticking it in a checking account. So thinking about just as we as we start to wrap up here, I, I love your story because it's one of those where you started with a really simple goal in mind and all of a sudden you've grown it past most people's probably imagination. I, I'm just really curious when when you're talking with friends and and they they know a little bit about you and they're like, wait a second, you have 77 rental properties all in the mainland. <laughs> Like, are, are you now like, uh, like teaching real estate courses at, you know, at, at kids' ball games and stuff like that? Like mom's got you off to the side, just, you know, okay, tell us. How tell do, us all your secrets. Yeah, how, do, how do we buy them again? And, and what sort of, what should we tell the mortgage people when we're on the phone? <laughs> no, actually, uh, it's just something my husband and I found a passion for. And honestly, I, we don't really talk about it. Yeah. Uh, it's you know in in our guest time now it, it's just really interesting because when you say you have investment properties in the mainland they're like what <laughs> like it's kind of like not the norm yeah. you know uh i guess we don't have too many conversations about it with our friends but um I could talk hours about it. It's just something I have a really, a lot of passion for. Well, and, and that's what I wanted to point out that I'm hearing in this interview today, Toby, is a couple things. Number one, passion has driven you this far. And you actually, we always say that financial freedom gives you the option to continue doing what you want to do, but not having to do it. So financial freedom, you've obtained it, right? You've created... Another thing that I heard you say is peace of mind and both in creating this passive income stream and secondly, even using the infinite banking concept created even more peace of mind in your process. And then the last thing that I heard in this was legacy. How important was what motivated you to begin with was I want to have my kids have the same opportunity or better than what we had. And that really forced you out of your comfort zone 
to take a step into the mainland of all places and start a rental portfolio that now, you know, even using infinite banking, I, I, going back to that, solidified that legacy that they will not have to kill the golden goose because you have this infinite banking kind of as a backstop. I just feel like this has been an incredible interview, a way to inspire others to take those same steps. Like who, who of you right now, you're listening to this and you say, I need to take some of those steps. I need to, maybe I'm just right at the beginning. Well, I would say too, like just some of the first things that you said early on, Toby, I think we all can relate with just being a little bit overwhelmed by the whole environment, finance as a whole, if you're not in it, can be one of those things where it's like, oh, I don't understand it. I just, I'll just do what everybody else does and, and just put my head down and hopefully it works out. But you push through, as you said, Joe, you push through that uncomfortable area into something that was definitely way outside of your box, investing in, in, in the mainland, in the pro- real estate that you've never done, doing it in a state that you had never been to and, and not knowing the people that are coming in and then continuing on. It's just such a wonderful story. I'm so thankful, as you as you said, and I think you, as you're listening to this, you hear this in Toby's voice. She's not here to boast. She literally is here because we, we heard about her story and we said, you've got to share it. And she's just so humble, but such an amazing person that she's willing to just come and give. That's all this is, is just an interview for you to hear a story that I hope inspires you to say, I can do this too. It isn't easy, but it's not impossible. Is that a good way to say that or or would you say it differently? Oh, no, I I would say exactly what you said. I think, you know, kind of getting out of your comfort zone and really just going for it you know i think you're you're gonna stumble upon some hard times and some unknowns and you have to make some pretty important decisions but once you kind of get through those hurdles you can pick up dust yourself off and you move on to the next one and be like i'm not gonna do that one again (laughs) but you know uh we definitely we're, we're super grateful for coming across this opportunity. Um, one last thing I want to end with is why we decided to do this infinite banking concept is a few times, you know, our, our lenders would ask us, you know, given the portfolio sizes, what is your succession plan? Mm. And I kind of stumbled on it. I'm like, well, eventually I would love for my kids to kind of take this on or, you know, why would we sell it? you know, to a third party or something. And so with the infinite banking concept, I said, hey, you know, if we can make this work and strategize and get them a a policy that works and grows over time, by the time they're our age, they pretty much, we could sell to them. They could pick up their own properties because I I love real estate and I'm a hoarder of it. I don't think I'd want to give it up, but... (laughs) I, I would basically tell them to go get their own, but you know, <laughs> right? Some people like store like beanie, beanie babies. Others like Coca Cola signs. You and Nathan are like storing little bitty two bedroom, one bath houses in the corner somewhere. Oh, the, those are the best ones. You know, <laughs> thousand square feet, little under. We're good. <laughs> well, Toby, thank you so much for coming on and sharing. This has been such a pleasure for us to have you here, and I know this. This is, again, outside of your daily activity. So it was a blessing for us and everyone who was listening. We really appreciate you, and we thank you for listening to this as well. And, and 
taking Toby's advice, like you totally can do this. Nothing's holding you back except yourself and the community um, is here to support you. If you're not already a member in the community, go to wealthwildwallstreet.com forward slash community and join. We want to have you in here. We want to root you on. Uh, Toby's a member and you can connect with her in there as well. And uh, there's so many tools and resources that can help you take that next step. So thank you so much again, Toby, for joining us. And thank you for listening. And we'll see you on the next episode. This has been the Wealth Without Wall Street podcast. Don't forget to subscribe to the show to break free of the Wall Street mindset and begin building wealth on your own terms in places you understand so that your wealth will never run dry. See you next episode.